Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. I'm Lindsay, and I'm Kathy from the Kindergarten Kiosk Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 108 of the Google Teacher Podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we are going to interview Jessica Brogley and hear about all of the amazing things that she is doing with GeoTools, Street View, Tour Creator, Expeditions, GeoGuessr, the list goes on and on, y'all. This lady is amazing. You don't want to miss this. And of course, we've got some Google News and updates, lots of things that have been happening over the past couple weeks, and some feedback from our listeners and a couple of things that we want to share from our blog. So you ready to do this, Matt? I'm ready. Let's go. So to kick off today's Google News and Updates, we have a couple of ways that Google Docs is getting smarter. So we've got a couple of newish features coming to Google Docs, and one of them is autocorrect. Um, this is something where, you know, recently they've improved their uh, spelling and grammar corrections in um, Gmail. And now they're, we're getting some of that in Google Docs as well. So if you're familiar with autocorrect in any of, you know, probably on your smartphone um, through any other programs that you use, this is going to be very similar where, you know, it'll help you find misspelled words and just change them immediately. And um, the way that you know that it's been done is that there's a little gray underline, like a little dashed gray line under the autocorrected part. And then, of course, you can just hover over it and undo it if you want to. But um, you know, if you're if you're a big autocorrect person like I am, whenever I'm typing, you know, text messages or things on my phone, um, I just let my thumbs fly and <laughs> just assume that autocorrect is going to clean up a lot of the stuff that that I've done. And um, we've got that coming to Google Docs as well as Smart Compose. Smart Compose is something that I've gotten really used to having in Gmail. And I'll bet you've probably seen it in, in Gmail where um, basically it uses um, kind of like machine learning, artificial intelligence to predict what you're going to write next. And it puts it in front of your cursor in real light gray. And if you're typing on a, you know, like a desktop or a laptop or a Chromebook, you can hit tab to accept that suggestion or just keep on typing. Um, and I just learned offline, Casey and I were talking about this offline. I just learned that uh, when you're using this on the app, so here's, okay, real, real talk here, folks. 
um, I was telling Casey that I was really struggling with, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was really struggling with Smart Compose because it would make a suggestion and I would try to swipe it into place, like take my thumb and swipe it from left to right, swipe it into place. And I said, I've got to do this like three or four times before that'll work. And Casey's like, uh, Matt, you got to tap it. You tap that suggestion and it comes on. And I tried it right away and I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't anybody tell me this? It was like, oh man, very embarrassing. Well, in your defense, I was I was like, well, that's how it works on my phone. But I know that I'm on iOS right, and yeah. you're on Android. So like maybe yes. there's something different, but it probably would be yes. easier on your phone than mine, if anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. She was very humble and gracious about it. But I was like, <laughs> face palm moment, you know, oh, my goodness, what's wrong with me? So like, anyway, Wait. oh, that worked. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, but the point I was making here is that uh, Smart Compose, which has been really nice in Gmail, um, is now coming to Google Docs. So you're able to hit that tab. Or if you're typing on your phone, just tap it. Don't swipe it, people. And it's Hashtag going to just do tap it. it. <laughs> oh, dear. It's going to be so misconstrued. Casey, don't get me in trouble. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So yeah, that's that's all you've got to do to to make Smart Compose work on Google Docs as soon as you start to see it. We made it. We made it through that one. Yeah, we did. Whew. <laughs> okay. Our next update has to do with the new Google Sites. And yes, I'm getting tired of still calling it new, but we still have classic sites as well. So we have to differentiate. So we have some more consolidated settings in Google Sites. And I'm actually in a new site right now. And, you know, uh, for instance, in Google Classroom, when we get updates, we get lots of pop-ups. Well, they're doing that here as well. So I, the first thing I see is it says all site settings are now in one place. Configure your assets, analytics, navigation, and other settings from the gear icon. So I always call it like the little cog, the little settings yeah, I say wheel. Cog too. And so yeah. cog. Yes. And that's such a weird word. Cog. It is. So <laughs> in the settings, you now have sort of a left-hand menu for navigation, your brand images. So adding that little favicon thing that everybody likes to do, that's really simple now. Your viewer tools and your analytics. So if you are plugging in any Google analytics to track anything. So they've just made that easier. I was really hoping this was going to make the whole sharing piece easier, but no, I still think that it's a little overcomplicated when you want to just publish it, that you have to click a few different times to get it exactly where you want it to go. But I do like the fact that we have come so far with the new Google Sites. You know, it was very simplistic, really easy to use from the beginning and so much better than the old sites. But we really have waited and waited and waited as they rolled out all of these more powerful integrations. And I think that's a fantastic way to help us make that transition. So I know there's still a few things people are hanging on to in classic sites, but I think we're getting close. Yeah, absolutely. This is so much slicker and is such a better product than when they first came out with it. So yeah, lots of lots of different definite improvements in that. So the next one we wanted to share with you has to do with Google Maps, which coincidentally fits very nicely with the interview that you're about to hear right after this segment. Um, this talks about uh, Google Maps contributed content. Because, you know, for the longest time when you used Google Maps, it was a lot of just here's the map or here's the place. And now 
what Google Maps does is it takes contributions. It takes information and things contributed from its users to make the product better. It's basically like a, a crowdsourced product instead of just a you know unidirectional from Google type of product. And so there's a variety of things that people can contribute that you can contribute if you want to. For instance, there are, you know, pictures of popular dishes in restaurants. There are suggestions of things that you can do in different locations by using the explore tab. And then of course you can add ratings and reviews and photos and all of that stuff. You know, this is all interesting stuff to know. You know, this sounds like a good idea for personal use, but does this really connect with the classroom? And I would argue that it does, because if students are learning about a location, you know, there's all sorts of traditional information about that location. You, know, you can probably find some information on Wikipedia. You can find it in a textbook. You can find it on a website or whatever. But what this gives is it gives kind of like an honest look at how real people feel about that location and what they're doing at that location. So this is like the real stuff instead of the, you know, polished academic stuff. This is like actual real people talking about it, which can give you a whole different perspective. They also talk about how they're, they're doing a lot to make sure that that information is reliable. Like they have these automatic uh, detection systems that use machine learning so that they can scan all of these contributions and there are certain little things that flag them that makes it look like they're either fake or they're inaccurate or, you know, they have harmful speech or whatever. So um, pretty cool stuff. When you start to dig into maps, uh, it's not just about looking at a map, but it's actually seeing some stuff that's contributed from real people. And of course, you know, you and your students could potentially contribute some of that information too. And fantastic way to get us into our featured content today. <laughs> so we've got a lot of a lot of location based ideas to share with you today. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about some Gmail tips. So this comes to us from the keyword blog, the you know the main Google blog, and they have consolidated some of their Sweet Life videos. So if you haven't been paying attention. They've started this series on YouTube called The Sweet Life, and they're just quick tips, and they're fantastic, by the way. And so we've got four quick tips on Gmail, but I do want to preface with this. So I realize most people listening to this, especially if you're elementary, you're like, okay, Gmail is going to be this, going to be a teacher tool. But if you have students who have access to Gmail or any other email platform, how important it is that we are talking and using these skills because email is a skill that they will need, whether they need it right now and don't know it because they think it's antiquated and that only old people use it. <laughs> we do need to talk about being able to use email and appropriate use and, of course, how to communicate and use those communication skills. So tip number one is the send later option, which is called schedule send, which you can do inside Gmail fantastic way when you know, you know what, I got to remember to send that email first thing tomorrow morning. So maybe you're sending a reminder to your students or to your parents that you can actually schedule it. You can compose it and send it exactly when you want it to be sent. And even if you have multiple emails, like maybe you send an email every Friday afternoon, or if you're a tech coach and you're sending tips out, you can schedule these to be sent at a later time that is appropriate for what you're sending. So it doesn't have to just be, oh, I got to remember to do this at this particular time. 
Tip number two, turn emails into tasks, which by the way, this is still one of the questions I always see on the Google certification exams. And a lot of people don't realize that email, Gmail, email, Gmail, talks to Google tasks, which is a um, program for you to manage your to-do list. And you can actually click and drag your email into the task list. If you have that open, you can also go to your three dots and be able to automatically add that. Plus they're adding in a, a keyboard shortcut that I don't think I've ever tried is shift K when you're in an email to automatically add it to your task list. So that's a fantastic way to do that. If you are using Google tasks, of course, if you're using some other platform, you may not care about this one as much, but it is really easy to do. Tip three, send an archive at the same time. I use this all the time. I used it when it was just a, an experiment or a lab, but because I'm one of those people that I don't delete emails, I archive. And honestly, if you're in Gmail, that's what you should be doing because you got the space. There's no reason to delete it. And because when you're dealing with parents and needing paper trails of what was said, you want to be able to go back and do that. So there is a little button um, that you can enable in your settings so that not only when you click send, you can click send and archive and it will take it out of your inbox. And then tip number four is to create a Google Calendar event with one click. So um, again, using that machine learning, they will be able to recognize or they, I say they, the, 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 the powers that be at Google, <laughs> the machine learning will recognize when you're discussing an event and we'll be able to create that event in one click. So when you're in an email, navigate to the three dots, click on create event, and it will open a new calendar tab. The subject of the email becomes the event title. Anyone in the two or CC line is added as a guest to the event. And the most recent reply to the thread is embedded in the description. So that's a pretty fantastic tip right there alone. So um, some great Gmail tips here from the keyword blog. And of course, we'll have links to all of these in our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 108. Well, y'all, I am super excited to introduce our next guest, Jessica Brogley. Jessica is from Platteville, Wisconsin, which we just had a quick discussion about. And she has some amazing things to share. She is a Google certified trainer, innovator, and Google Street View certified. And she does some amazing things with geo tools and all kinds of really specialized, I think, skills that you're going to love to hear today. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So tell us in your own words, though, we all know what it means to be a teacher. No matter what role you have, you're usually wearing like 20 hats. So can you tell us what you really do? <laughs> sure. So I'm a teacher of educational technology courses in the School of Education at UW-Platteville. So I teach all of the pre-service teachers that go through our program how to, um, well, I teach them the kind of the basic skills, uh, the, the various tools they can use in the classroom, but also then how to apply them. And by the second course, they should know very well the ISTE student and teacher standards. And uh, besides that, I do love to do technology trainings for school districts, small businesses, libraries, stuff like that. Um, I am a Google local guide and Street View certified person. Um, so um, just overall, uh, love learning how to leverage technology to be able to um, 
you know, tell digital stories of where we, where we live, what we do, our people, right. And, uh, kind of convey that importance to students, um, pre-service teachers as they enter the classroom too. Looking through some of your information, um, you said that you have added over 1,700 photos and over 500 uh, photospheres to um, Google Maps. And so you are one of those people that I talk about in my presentations. Whenever I show them Street View and I say, you can look at the the images that come straight from the street, but then sometimes people upload their own photos or in their own photospheres. So that that includes you, um, which is super, super cool. So um you know, you keep talking about how using something like Google Maps and Street View and all of this, we can use it to tell stories and we can use it in the classroom. And so I was wondering, aside from plugging directions into Google Maps and uploading our pictures to Google Photos, what are some of those things that you're starting to see that maybe the, you know, the average Google using teacher might not see that can support students in the classroom? So I love to really kind of convey to students that um, we are able to help shape that map, that the work we do, right, as adults uh, contributing allows others to understand where we live. And then we can take those pictures. For example, uh, I may make a, a school district Google account and then uh, go out on, I've taken kids out to various places where we've uh, done photospheres, taken lots of 360 pictures, and then we come back to the school and we'll upload them to their school Google, like our district um, uh, district Google account, and then they're they're visible right uh, on maps. So then we can take that, take those images, and turn them into customized tours using Tour Creator. Then those can be viewable in Google Expeditions. Or we may take those pictures and turn them into GeoGuessr games. It's really interesting to see how our younger students might not know the geography of their community really well. But so I'll go around and I'll upload all sorts of pictures to Google Maps uh, of, say, our region in southwest Wisconsin or even our town of Platteville. And then build a GeoGuessr game where they have to kind of identify um, the geography of our community it's really interesting to see them grow in those skills and then branch that out to Southwest Wisconsin and then maybe the Midwest and then kind of grow from there. I'm helping not only the like the general public see those images, right? When they when they use Google Maps or when they grab Pegman by the wrist, right? And, and drop on a blue dot. But uh, I'm also helping kids kind of understand their place matters, like their place in, in wherever they live, like um, what are features of that? And um, I think ha- having people kind of draw attention to that, um, that matters, right? Totally matters. I feel like you just <laughs> had a huge mic drop moment, by the way, um, that we are able to shape the map and helping students to see the power of that. Could you give us a little bit of context? So if someone's looking to get started, like what this means, um, how you're actually doing this, maybe what devices you use or recommend um, to help them make this a reality? Sure. So we use, uh, in, in our school of education, we, we bought several Insta 361X devices. And they're basically, it's a camera, but there's two fisheye lenses on each side. And so then we install the Insta um, 360 app on our, our devices. We it, it works on an iPad, by the way, too, but most of us are using our cell phones. And um, so you connect it basically... Um, 
as if uh, you connect your phone to the device, like looking for a Wi-Fi signal in that regard, the, the camera will come up as an option. So you connect your device and then your, your phone essentially becomes kind of like the shutter. And so then we get a monopod and um, go out and start photographing. And what happens is when you press the shutter, uh, it, it stitches the image together as one spherical image. And so then when you transfer it back from the camera to your phone, then you can decide what to do with it. Um, using uh, the re it's called retouch. It's, I think it's $2. It's a fantastic app that allows you to erase yourself out of the photos. Uh, so I can hold, let's say I might hold the monopod over my head, take the photo, um, transfer it back to my phone, and then using the retouch app, erase myself out. So it's as if the camera was kind of hovering, but a lot of times I just, I don't mind having myself in the picture. The kids actually get a kick out of it. Uh, it's almost like a little Easter egg when they, they're trying to look for, <laughs> look for the photographer. Where is, where are the people, right? So um, then from there, right, using the Google Street View app, I will upload my photo to Google Maps that way. Then if you really get into it, you can always do some tiny planet photography too. That's kind of fun um, using the Insta360 app. So I'm looking at this and my mind is already starting to spin a little bit at how this could apply in the classroom. I'm sure that, you know, this is something that that you've probably pondered an awful lot and you can probably see all these different connections. So I was wondering if you could make some of those connections for us there as far as if we're taking some of these 360 pictures, if we're putting them into maps, uh, using tour creator expeditions, GeoGuessr, you know, any of those tools, um, how, what, what are some some logical classroom connections that you can see with those? Sure. So um, one that I've always been meaning to finish, we started it and I never finished it yet. I would love to see kids write about aspects of their community. So, and that's, that's a very early standard, at least in Wisconsin for students to start studying. So what if we then took that camera and went around and photographed what we consider, um, say, uh, the police station, the uh, city hall, the fire department, the school, the library, et cetera, right? And so we photograph all those places and then come publish them to Google Maps under our, say, school Google account. Then come back and start using Tour Creator, then start writing about um, the significance of each of these places. And uh, you can't share them between users, but we can collaboratively write, take turns, etc. You can even then draw attention to certain places within Tour Creator. So I look at the fire department alone. Um, I had done a three, uh, a several 360 image, images within the fire department, and I noticed that there were several things within the, the room that I'd, I didn't know what they were. So just looking at that one place alone, we can have students start studying what is that device in the corner? What does that do? And lots of research and interview and conversation can happen that way. Um, so think of all of the places in your community, right? Or uh, think of it as a tourist uh, opportunity, right? How can your students showcase um, various places to travel and enjoy a Saturday afternoon? Or what are some historical locations? Uh, how can you learn about the, say, history of Southwest Wisconsin uh, in Tour Creator, right? Like how, how can your students, how can we gather those pictures, upload them to Google Maps, and then come back and, and write about them together? Um, there's just lots of different applications uh, with writing. And by the way, you can also upload audio, right, to tour creators. So um, there's uh, not just writing, but speaking uh, as well. 
you know, all of the examples that you gave were kind of like nonfiction examples. I could even see, you know, using this to do some like fictional writing, like creative writing and that kind of thing. That's even a possibility too, right? Definitely. So who's to say you couldn't use that 360 image as a, um, maybe a suspenseful prompt, right? So I took a photo up on the top of the mound, um, the, we have the world's largest M in Platteville on the side of a hill. And, uh, but if you walk back on some walking trails, uh, it act, there's actually some kind of rocks you can climb under and it, it looks great. It's really neat. But uh, the pictures turned out kind of dark and spooky almost, right? So that would be a, a really neat prompt to get students to start creatively writing, like what happened at this scene, right? Um, and even with tiny planet photography, when you start bending your pictures, and um, turning them into a sphere, then you can really start having some fun with that. Um, so yeah, there's a, a ton of creative writing opportunity too that goes with that. And I can see your middle school language arts showing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, we both come from the, the language arts background and mm-hmm. I totally think of writing, creative writing especially. But I also love the fact that you took this almost from a macro to a micro level in terms of like the fire station example. Mm-hmm. So that we're not just talking about the scene, the location, the setting that we're actually looking now at objects and with these cameras that are so high resolution that we Mm -hmm. can actually dig into what are the little things that make up the big things Mm -hmm. and having those conversations, building vocabulary. And the other thing that you mentioned that was fantastic is this becomes cross discipline, Mm -hmm. right? We're intercurricular. We're working across many different disciplines. We're embedding several different types of media. We've got the voice that we can add into our creator. We've got the ability to immerse ourselves in expeditions. We've got the ability to have kids collaborating and creating these things now and not just consuming them. So I feel like we have really taken some steps in a huge direction with this. And I love that you've got your finger on on this, that you know how to do this. And I'm very curious, though, about some of the experiences you've had with Google. So can you tell us how you became Google Street View certified? Because some people will want to know that. But I also want to hear about the event that you attended with Google, the Connect Live event and what that was like. You know how us ed tech types are, we have to try everything. And so I don't know where, no. I, <laughs> I, don't know uh, where I heard about uh, 360 photography. I can't remember anymore, but I went out and bought the very first Rico Theta that came out and ran outside of Doudna several years ago and took a picture. And after I took it, I realized I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> it looked great on my phone, um, but I noticed the only place I really could push it out was Maps. So I did it, ran, pushed it out to Maps came back to my office and waited, right, for it to show up on maps and uh, just melted when I realized I dragged Pegman over and dropped the blue dot right next to my office. And this, this like, epiphany happened, right? Like, wait a minute, I actually can contribute to this. Like, this is a thing, right? So I just started taking a bunch and eventually then realized being a local guide is very separate from being Street View certified but I wanted to be able to do that. So I understood what that meant and how I could help others. Um, so becoming Street View certified, just, uh, you just, you take, uh, what I forget the number, a hundred, maybe, um, 360 photos and apply to become that. And that's under a, a totally different Google account. But then I'm able to, if a small business wants my help doing interior walkthroughs, for example, I can do that. 
um, I understand how to leverage that and what guests, what customers would want to see. So it's kind of, it's very different. This whole Street View certified thing is entirely different than being a Google local guide or, or working with it in the classroom. But I really will say that this whole thing, this whole process has helped me just continue to develop uh, and apply the ISTE teacher standards, right? Like understanding that um, the work I do is for other people and I can collaborate and design really unique things as a teacher. And that, of course, transcends right into the work that my students get to do, too. You know, one of those things that um, that you you mentioned in our sort of our pre-interview stuff was um, getting to take students over to the United Kingdom to to do some some work with this, some of your um, students in the School of Education. Could you tell us briefly about that trip? Yeah. So this summer we are taking um, roughly twenty eight people, uh, undergrads who are future teachers, over to the United Kingdom for two weeks. And they're taking my ed tech course. Well, as you know, as you can imagine, really, you can study how to leverage ed tech anywhere. So we decided, why not just pick this up, leave Platteville and head overseas? So we'll be in um, in Europe for those two weeks. And their charge really is to learn how to leverage digital storytelling and be good curators of the places that they travel and what they learn not just for their classrooms, but to be able to share that. So they all will become Google local guides. They all will, we're we're taking every 360 camera over (laughs) and they'll be photographing all the places they travel, uploading it to maps, learning how to leave reviews uh, and and be contributors that way. And then they'll come back and uh, start processing and building custom tours and geoguessor games, for example, um, to be able to use in the classroom and develop lesson plans surrounding the work that they did over there. That is an amazing opportunity. That is really going to be awesome. In fact, you may have to come back and tell us more about all of that. And, you know, something else that you've mentioned a couple of times, and I feel like people may still be new to this, is GeoGuessr. And um, I, that's a tool that I have played with just a little bit, but I definitely don't know it the way that you do. So could you tell the listeners what GeoGuessr does so that they can decide if that's the right tool for them? Yeah, sure. So what GeoGuessr does, uh, it's a game that you play where um, you are picking um, a location on a map and um, you're trying to guess where it is and you get points based on how close you are. So uh, you're, you're going to look at a 360 image and then you have to pinpoint it on the map where it is. Um, so very quickly, you start to learn the location and geography of that particular like game you're playing. So the one I made of Platteville, each time the kids will get a 360 image of some location in Platteville, they hover over a location on the map and try to guess where this picture was taken. And so they click um, their, guest, uh, their guess, and then um, they're awarded points accordingly. It's super fun. <laughs> That's so cool. And the the fact that you can, you know, use your own images within that too kind of, you know, takes it to another level, which I totally love. This has been such a cool interview. I mean, we've dug into some some really, really neat stuff about using Street View, about uploading images, um, doing 
tour builder and just just all of those different things, which has been has been super cool. So thank you again, Jessica, so much for um, just sharing your experience and your insights with us. If people want to get in touch with you, like if they want to ask you questions or follow up with you or something, where's the best place for them to find you? Probably on Twitter. My handle is at J Brogley. So J B R O G L E Y. Excellent. And if anyone wants to catch up on any of the resources we talk about or any additional information, of course, you can find those in our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 108. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right, folks, it's mailbag time, and we have one message to share with you this week. This is from Laura Cahill. She's from Massachusetts, and she listened to our recent episode about the ISTE standards and had to write us a message. So here's what she said. She said, I couldn't listen to this episode fast enough because the ISTE standards have become such a driving force in my work as an ed tech coach. After going through the ISTE certification process with my team, the Instructional Technology and Digital Learning Department in the Worcester Public Schools in Massachusetts, we quickly realized what an amazing framework the ISTE standards would be for powerful teaching and learning. One way we started to use them to support students and teachers was by creating a crosswalk document between our state DLCS standards and the ISTE student standards. This has been huge in terms of helping our teachers see the bigger goal of creating empowered learners, which we all agreed is the overarching goal and the standard that all the others lead toward. Now, when planning PD for our teachers, we use the ISTE educator standards to guide us and have started to educate our principals in them so that they know what to look for in classrooms. I may be overenthusiastic about this, but I wanted you to know that I really appreciate you bringing them to the masses. And I highly recommend ISTE certification if you can ever find the time. I'm not compensated in any way to say that, Laura says. So um, good stuff. Sounds like, you know, really, really good, meaningful ways to, to use those ISTE standards, which, of course, are available on the ISTE website at ISTE.org. So thank you, Laura, for that message. And thanks for sharing how you're using those ISTE standards. Before we wrap up today's episode, Matt and I have a couple of blog posts that we wanted to highlight in today's episode. I just recently shared an interview that I did on the Shake Up Learning Show with Jim Knight. And if you're not familiar with Jim Knight, um, what rock have you been under? But no, Jim is really what I call the instructional coaching guru, but he has written many things on not only coaching, but just instruction in general. He's done tons of research. He just had a new book released called The Instructional Playbook. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about how professional... (laughs) We talk about how professional development has changed over the years and how to build those strong relationships between coaches and teachers. So whether you're a tech coach, an instructional learning professional, an instructional coach, whatever your name happens to be, and classroom teachers too, I think will appreciate hearing from Jim and all of the little tidbits that he has to share. Yeah, absolutely. I saw that Casey had done this interview with Jim Knight. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is definitely must listen. 
I've also got uh, something to share from the Ditch That Textbook blog. We had a blog post where um, we got to feature some of the great Google Slides and PowerPoint themes and templates that are available on the Slides Mania website. So Ditch That Textbook did a little collaboration with Slides Mania to share 20 of the top Google Slides and PowerPoint templates that you can get from there, along with lesson ideas on how to incorporate them. And it has been off the hook since we released it. Um, people have been going and checking those out a bunch. So uh, feel free to go check those out, um, as well as the interview that that Casey did on the ShakeUp Learning Show. And you can find links to all of those at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 108. Wow, what a fantastic interview that we had with Jessica Brogley. Did did you get as much out of this as I did? Because, I mean, such good stuff. So I hope that you came away with some, some useful things or at least a better understanding of what MAPS is and how you can interact with it. And I totally agree. I'm going to have to come back and listen to our episode a couple of times just to catch everything that she shared. If you enjoyed this show and you're not subscribed to the show yet, we would love for you to do that. Um, also, if you know of anybody else who might enjoy getting some Google news and updates and some ideas on a weekly basis, we would love it if you passed it along to them. And of course, we do love to hear from you. So if you're able to go to the Google Teacher Podcast website and leave us a voice message, we love to get your questions. We love to hear the things that you're doing in your classroom and to pass along those tips and tricks to others. And we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and by visiting our website, googleteacherpodcast.com. Join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTPod. Until next time, keep harnessing that G Suite power and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.